Let's uh, get the perspective as far as the chairman of the Democratic Party in Suffolk County. You know him well. Fine supervisor of the town of Babylon, Rich Schaefer. Uh, always uh, good to have him. Election time, bad weather time. He uh, he always comes to the forefront. Uh, and we thank him. And, sir, it is good to have you. And here we go again. Thanks. Good morning, Jay. And uh, glad to see the finish line in the distance. This has been an incredibly long cycle, hasn't it? It just seems like this thing is going on two years. Waiting for November 8th, 22. It seems that way to me. Maybe as a broadcaster, as you know, we cover this thing left and right here. It just seems like it's an elongated cycle. Do you get a sense of that or no? Yeah, no, it definitely was, and and particularly because of the several primaries that we had this year, uh, because of the uh, court-ordered uh, redistricting uh, issues that came up, and in uh, and, and general, because of how split and polarized uh, the area and the country is, uh, that intensity um, maximizes itself. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, never seen or felt uh, the intensity that I've felt the last couple of years, and in particular, um, this past year. No question about it. Uh, everything accentuated to the 11th degree without question. Um, let's start with the gubernatorial. Give me, an, give me a Schaefer assessment as far as what's been happening here and what you see as we approach the finish line. Go ahead. Sure. No, I think, uh, I think obviously it's been an intense race uh, the last couple of months. Um, Lisa, obviously, in Suffolk County. Lee Zeldin coming from Suffolk County, that's a, a source of his strength and his base. So for us, it's been difficult in getting the message out. Uh, I've told our people that the importance is of getting our people out to vote. Uh, last year, when I ran for re-election in Babylon, I can tell you that the Republicans got their vote out. The Democrats did not. And uh, that was why I saw a drop in support that I received. So I've told uh, our people to get back to basics and make sure that we are getting our people out to vote. Overall, statewide, I think that it'll be very close. I know people are commenting on some of the closest uh, elections, uh, gubernatorial elections over past history. They're uh, looking back to 94 in, um, when George Pataki defeated Mario Cuomo by about 150,000 votes statewide. I think you're going to see as close a race as that. Uh, I do think that Kathy Hochul is going to win uh, probably 51-49 or 52-48. Uh, and I think because uh, Zeldin peaked early uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think he had the momentum moving on his side, and that uh, alerted and woke up a lot of the Democrats who may have been either sitting on the sideline or not doing everything they should have been doing. And I think in the last two weeks, you saw that turn around, which is what I think will give her the margin of victory on uh, Tuesday. Oh, a lot that has been coming out. I mentioned the former president stopping for Bill Clinton, you know, kind of making a sarcastic reference regarding handing out hammers at subways. Uh, do you think, though, that the issue of criminal activity uh, has been brought to the forefront even more so with what's been going on? You know, the accusations of 
master manipulator, conspiracy, uh, even during a debate between the incumbent and the challenger, you know, the fact that, you know, she had asked uh, somewhat facetiously, I think, of why the focus is so much uh, on the, uh, you know, reform laws and everything else in play here. Um, do you think that has hurt her as we get down the stretch? Well, look, I think that any time an incumbent's running, an incumbent takes responsibility, whether he or she likes it or not, for the conditions that are going on. And I've been an incumbent for a long time, and there are things that I have uh, had responsibility thrown at me that I have no jurisdiction or responsibility over. So I think in this case, and, and I think her flippant remark wasn't really appropriate, um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, she's worked hard to correct some of the terrible uh, laws that were passed before her term as governor, uh, particularly in rolling back uh, the uh, crimes that were covered under the bail reform law. She's fought hard for that. She held up the budget for a couple of weeks, and I think that it's unfair for anybody to try and say that every crime that's committed has something to do with her being the governor and the bail reform law. I can tell you I've been very outspoken from the beginning uh, out here in Suffolk County, and, and any elected official will tell you that they're rather surprised that I've been as outspoken as I have uh, based on the fact that uh, I don't believe that the state legislature uh, um, acquitted itself well in doing the bail reform law. I think they rushed it. They snuck it into the budget. Uh, they didn't give it uh, the credibility and the discussion that it deserved. And I can tell you that there were a number of Republicans who said to me that the bail reform law should have been redone at the time, but it should have been done in a bipartisan fashion, not the way that, and I'll call them the city Democrats, did. And that's what this comes down to is, and I've said this time and again over the years, and I've been criticized in my own party for this, but I'm going to continue to say it, is that we don't, I don't necessarily believe we have political parties, but we have suburban and city interests. And what it comes down to is that we need Democrats elected from the suburbs who are going to be vocal voices in the caucus because there will be a majority Democrat assembly and there will be a majority Democrat state Senate. And we need suburban Democrats in there who are going to raise a stink, not allow them to get away with what they've done over the years and to be able to put them in place. And listen, one thing regarding the incumbent, I always remember Rich, she held up that budget. I think it was nine to 10 days. And really, uh, you know, you can make the case. Public safety was sold out. Bail reform as well. You got a Buffalo Bills stadium in play. We all know what happened there. But a lot of people always remember the fact that, you know, listen, uh, if you cannot use a word like dangerousness in, if you cannot let a judge uh, have full power as far as decision-making is concerned, uh, then what do we have here? You know, there, there comes also in question is what I've been saying all along. The three things that are non-negotiable is judges' discretion. You must give them full, full consideration to consider public safety. There's also reversing that presumption on rapid disclosure. There's also the slashing of the rest of the new discovery requirement. I say those three, three things are non-negotiable, and that wasn't put forth in that revamping, so to speak. Right. And, and, and I agree that that needs to be done as well. Um, but what I can tell you is that, unfortunately, we've got a system where there has to be some compromise. So I believe she 
worked as hard as she could to get that done. And at the end of the day, I think that uh, going into the next session, there's going to be a uh, uh, an intensity on that issue uh, that you've never seen before, that people are going to demand change. And that's going to be people who even live in New York City who are experiencing a lot of the issues that um, we see reported in the news uh, and have had personal experiences with it, that there's got to be something done. So I think you're going to see that. And again, I think that uh, over the last uh, 16 months, she's worked hard to do that. And I think at the end of the day, voters are going to uh, to uh, reelect her and give her the opportunity to make those additional changes. Listening to Rich uh, Schaefer, he is the chair, Democratic Party uh, for Suffolk County. Let's uh, stay on the federal side of things for a second, Rich, and that is Congressional 1 and 2, uh, Bridget Fleming, and uh, Jackie Gordon, let's start with uh, Jackie. As far as the second congressional is concerned, it's kind of a rematch. Um, do you feel she learned anything from her loss to Andrew Garbarino uh, a couple of years ago? What she brings to the table now? How is it different? Uh, give me a quick assessment there. Yeah, I think I think that she has she did learn from the loss, and, and I think that her campaign has shown that. I think that um, the what's 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 driving that race is a lot of the national conversation, and so again, when you get back to whether or not it's it's your responsibility, you accept responsibility. So the party in power in the White House usually suffers losses during that um, midterm election. That's where we're at right now. So I believe that what Jackie's got working against her is not necessarily Andrew Garbarino, but the national mood uh, with the party in power, the Democratic Party in power, our party in power uh, in the White House. So I think that, again, I think both her and Bridget are working hard. Um, I think that um, that the races are going to be close uh, and not necessarily uh, large uh, um, results. Uh, like we're in the presidential year in 2020. Um, so I think that Jackie's done well with it, and she um, she's put herself out there. And I think based on her resume, the fact that she did four tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, has got extensive military knowledge, uh, and uh, in, as an educator knows the community very well, I think that she's uh, primed to be a good congresswoman, uh, my congresswoman in the 2nd District. Bridget Fleming, people know her well, uh, from the uh, legislature. And the question is, does that transpire into votes on the congressional side of things? Uh, Now, a lot of people have said to me, you know, they haven't heard much about Bridget Fleming. They know of her as far as her past history. Uh, What kind of campaign, in your estimation, has Bridget Fleming done over the past couple of months, and the question is, is it enough to take out Nick LaLota? Go ahead. Yeah, I think I think she's done a, a great campaign. I think that the national interests have, uh, have been working on her behalf, and in particular, the biggest um, support that she's received has been from law enforcement. You know, she's a former prosecutor uh, in the Manhattan DA's office uh, back in the day. She's been a great uh, town board member in Southampton and a county legislator. A legislator, uh, and now uh, you've got all of law enforcement supporting her against Nicola Oda, and that was because he worked very hard 
to dismantle the Amityville Village Police Department when he was a village trustee in our hometown of Babylon. I can tell you that if you ask any of the Amityville police officers what they think of Nicola Loda, it wouldn't be uh, either printable or be able, it'd have to probably be beeped out uh, on your radio station. Um, and, and that's because of how, um, uh, uh, how uh, aggressive he was in trying to dismantle that police department. And so I think that that, uh, plus uh, Bridget's experience and uh, resume, are going to carry the day for her. She's got a very good shot at winning that open seat. Uh, and I believe we're going to see a nice surprise on election night with her. Uh, Rich Schaefer with us, uh, the chair of the Democratic Party, uh, Suffolk County. Uh, Rich, let's get into some of the races. You and I always kind of break down state Senate, state assembly. Uh, Who, in your estimation, uh, is somebody out there uh, that kind of might be a rising star in your mindset, could unseat uh, an incumbent, a staple, someone, maybe a newbie on the block? What do you see here in the Senate? Uh, on the Senate side, I think that Skylar Johnson in the first district against um, Senator Palumbo uh, has done a great campaign. He has uh, been working nonstop. I think he has knocked on at least 10,000 doors in the Senate district. He's a young man, just graduated from Stony Brook, uh, has got a really good handle on the pulse of the community. And I think we're going to see that race. Uh, going down to the wire based on the numbers in the district as well as how hard he has worked and how he's put himself uh, out there. All right, Skylar Johnson uh, running against Palumbo uh, in the first. Uh, I look at an interesting one here, uh, and that is in that Senate fourth where you have, you know, a familiar name, that Amonic Martinez getting back into the swing of things, going going up against a woman who – has been highly uh, touted by the Republicans and that of Wendy Rodriguez. Uh, that's an interesting one to me in that fourth, Rich. Yeah, no, the, the, and that's my Senate district. Uh, I've been working hard for Monica. Monica has great experience in the Islip portion of that district, and most of the district is in Babylon Town, and uh, she has received great support uh, from within our town. Her brother serves as our deputy supervisor, and councilman on the town board, Tony Martinez. And uh, we're excited about Monica's uh, potential to be able to really be a, uh, a voice in the in that caucus in the Senate. Um, Wendy, yes, I've met Wendy several times. Um, she's a, uh, got a local real estate uh, office and uh, has been at some of the community meetings that I've attended. Uh, but I can tell you at the end of the day, uh, Wendy's agenda is really far right to what people in that district <clears throat> district want. And I think Monica's experience as a legislator and her previous experience in the Senate, uh, she, there won't be any on-the-job training. She'll be able to go there and hit the ground running on January 1st. So we're really excited about Monica um, going back to the Senate. I think Monica could be hurt, especially with the bail reform stuff. Now, remember now, uh, on my show, she indicated she made a mistake as far as the vote, needed some changes in play. You haven't seen a lot of changes, um, especially as far as the incumbent. We all know uh, less is more. Kathy Hochul signed after the bail reform was in play, knew there was an issue with the bail reform. 
you know, that could be an issue coming up again as far as some of the mindset regarding Monica Martinez. What about that aspect? Yeah, no, I, and absolutely. And I think that she has said that uh, she made a mistake. I remember the, the, the discussions that she and I had about that bail reform law when it was first considered. And there were a number of issues that really were not handled well by the state legislature. And again, I, I, I say the city Democrats uh, that were in the majority there, and two in particular, one having to do with bail reform, and the, and the other was having to do with 50A, which was uh, disclosure of complaints against law enforcement officers. Uh, the law contained a provision that allowed for disclosure of both founded and unfounded complaints. And so I told her that, the, and if I were there, I would have said that if we're going to do that as a measuring stick for, or, a, or a policy for how uh, complaints are released, so that if you're a teacher, then all founded and unfounded complaints should be released against you. If you're an attorney, same thing. If you're a dentist or a doctor, same thing. I don't know why we're releasing unfounded complaints, because if complaints are investigated and if they've been found to be unfounded, I don't know why you would want that. I don't think any person in, in who's in business or in a professional career would say that that's fair to have unfounded complaints released against you. And so I think that she recognizes that the, that was a mistake and that needs to be corrected. Because, again, if you're going to have unfounded complaints released against law enforcement, then that should be the, the call of the day against every professional uh, that is licensed or uh, has uh, the state has jurisdiction over. The one caveat in all of this to make note of, Rich, is that, you know, the island so-called moderates, as far as what makes up the playing field, voted for all these laws. So... You know, the blame into New York City and those about the boroughs and everything else, uh, you know what? It doesn't have a lot of substance to it. And if you're paying attention to this, you know, you wonder how the voters are going to react to this as of tomorrow. Well, I can tell you that she has said that she made a mistake. Uh, I was very vocal at the time as the party chair and as town supervisor as to how I felt. And uh, again, I think that when we're going back there and if they're looking to make corrections, she's going to have to be one of the ones that's going to be able to stand up to the majority and tell them that they've got to make these corrections. So I'd rather have her there being able to get things done uh, as opposed to someone in the minority party who's not going to be able to get things done. Okay. Rich uh, Schaefer with us a couple of minutes. Let's go to the assembly quickly, Rich. Uh, You got some newcomers in play here. Uh, you also have uh, some uh, steady staples as far as Steve Engelbright, the fourth, Phil Ramos uh, in the sixth. What do you see out of the assembly here? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be status quo. Uh, I think that at this point, with everything and all the attention being paid on the governor's race and in particular the congressional, I think that uh, the incumbents enjoy the advantage. Uh, Steve Engelbright has now served as the chair of the Environmental Conservation Committee. That's very important to Long Island. It would be, I would call it a crime, if if we were to lose him and his seniority and his leadership capabilities uh, in the state assembly. And I think Phil Ramos, uh, as well, uh, has uh, distinguished himself as a leader in the assembly. And so I think you're going to see Phil, Steve, Steve Stern, Kimberly Jean-Pierre, and uh, Fred Steele reelected 
to the assembly, be part of the majority, and be able to help sway uh, some of the things that are going on there, uh, as well as the other Republican incumbents. I think that we've got some good challenges. Cooper Macko has been a great, uh, put up a great challenge, but I think that based on what I see in terms of the numbers and turnout, uh, in order to take out a Republican incumbent, you've got to have something better than what I see happening now in the early voting numbers, uh, as well as um, what is predicted for tomorrow. And so, again, I uh, I commend them for what they're doing, but I, I think you're going to see status quo in the assembly. Quick ones. Uh, 200 and, if I got my numbers right, 213 seats in the state ledge uh, on the line. Um, Democrats expect to hold onto the majority state assembly State Senate. Republicans, um, listen, they want to strip away the supermajority, talking about that two-thirds, uh, and they hope to gain these seats. Do you think that will happen in play as far as that supermajority? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that that's a big consideration for tomorrow because I think that if you've got such a close gubernatorial race, that's going to trickle down ballot. And so anybody who's a professional will tell you that you're probably going to see that uh, reduce the, the majority reduced in the Senate. And uh, at the end of the day, like I said, getting back to the conversation of the suburbs versus the city, I think that that will help uh, part of that um, change in dynamic and the caucus, which will benefit everybody in New York State. Final thought here, turnout. Voter turnout, the preliminary numbers, not bad. And I've always said the people are engaged more so than ever. If that carries true as far as tomorrow, talking about the gubernatorial and everything else, listen, we know Zeldin, for him to win, he has got to penetrate New York City, the boroughs, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens. The question is, does he do that? Are the people engaged? Give me a final thought as far as the overall casting of the ballot by the people out there. Look, I think, like you just said, uh, turnout, I think, is going to be very good. I think it's going to be even higher than what would be typical in a midterm gubernatorial election. I think that that works well for us as a party, and I don't think he's going to be able to do what he needs to do in New York City uh, because I think uh, in New York City he's been presented as a very – uh, radical, extreme uh, candidate, I think, look, the Republicans probably would have done better if they had had a more moderate candidate like a Harry Wilson or a John Flanagan, someone that we know well from Suffolk County. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, Lee has tried to remake himself many times over. And I think that people understand that he is bought into the extreme right-wing agenda. And people in general don't want that. We're exhausted from the extreme on my side of the aisle, uh, the the, uh, the crazies, I call them, and we're exhausted from the extreme on the right side of the aisle. We want to get back to governing, compromise, and, uh, and moderates need to carry the day as opposed to these extreme ideologies that have really caused chaos and exhausted all of us. Uh, it is what it is, but I'll tell you the common sense factor we see it on the top stage, trickling down into the state, even locally here. We've got to get some of that back. That's the only thing you get. That's the only way, in my estimation, you get something done here for the people. 